Welcome to the February episode of International Voices. My name is Udo Fluck. I oversee the Office of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula, and I am the host and moderator of this podcast series. To listen to episodes from the last two years, please visit artsmissoula.org. Click on Global and Cultural Affairs and visit Radio and Podcasts. International Voices is a monthly podcast brought to you through a collaboration of Global and Cultural Affairs in Arts Missoula and The Trail 1033. This is the first part of a multi-part series focusing on food as cultural diplomacy. I am talking with individuals who are all passionate about international cuisine, working in the local kitchens, running restaurants and food trucks, preparing meals inspired by recipes and spices from far away places. Their history, culture and enthusiasm shall be our audio delight in today's podcast. Food contributes to an individual's physical and mental well-being and expresses one's cultural identity through preparation, sharing and consumption. Food is the great unifier that connects us across cultures and generations. Culture is influenced by food through various ways, such as the physical location, the history, tradition, customs, values, and who you cook with and for. This episode is dedicated to food, food that is different from the food traditionally grown, harvested, prepared, and enjoyed in our region. I am thrilled today to have two individuals here that are producing international food. And I'm going to hand it over. Uh, and ladies first, we'll start with you. Um, please tell us a little bit about yourself, Sylvia, and, and uh, what you do. Uh, I'm Sylvia Ade Weirich, German native, living in the U.S. approximately 30 years. I'm the owner of Alpenstüble Pretzel Factory as well as Alpins Guten Eaton, our food truck. And we are located in Stevensville. And uh, I'm a baker as well as a chef. Wonderful. Thank you, Sylvia. And we have here, Wissam, if you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Uh, hi, my name is Wissam Rahim. And I'm originally from Iraq. We moved to U.S., specifically to Missoula, around four years back. Um, I'm the co-owner of the Kamun Arabian Cuisine. Uh, it was food truck and now only like 10 days back we opened our first restaurant here in Missoula. Uh, me and my cousin, uh, we are doing this business. And then uh, my wife, she joined us uh, with this business. So it's like a family business for Wonderful. us. Wonderful. Well, and congratulations. Thank the you. opening of the new restaurant. That is wonderful to hear. Thank you. Um, let's get started, if we can, um, by, by you telling us a little bit about how you got interested in cooking. Um, who and what influenced you to become a cook? Oh, the seed was sown in my childhood traveling to Italy with my parents and staying in a trattoria, which is a bed and breakfast called over here, where I found the love of baking and cooking. The influence, most influential person were my mom and my grandmother and family, uh, elderly, and 
essence to spend time with them. The place was in the kitchen and stories as well as recipe was taught many multifaceted life skills within beyond the home. And that's how I started. Wonderful. What a great start. So really family connected and a way to spend time with family members in a kitchen. Correct. Uh, Yeah. For me, it's, uh, I, I like, uh, cooking and specifically baking. <laughs> I used to, it's like my hobby. I used to bake and cake decorate uh, before we, I go with the like uh, food cooking. Um, it's in, in our culture, like the food is very important in our culture. And I used to um, cook with my mom and uh, I'm the only boy <laughs> in the family. And I have three sisters, so <clears throat> I always helping her with the in the kitchen, and uh, we started from there. <laughs> sure. What excites you both about food? A food is a, like a universal language, regardless of whether you know the culture or even understand it. Uh, you can still come together and enjoy it. I would agree. Yeah, for me, I feel like uh, the food is the easiest way to reach out people. Uh, like, uh, if you make you want to make friends, you you offer them food. Right. If you are going to work, and you know, if you take some food with you, then they will love love you. Right. <laughs> so it's it's in our like uh, uh, culture as well as uh, I think so. As Sylvia said, she's it's it's the short, shortest way to to connect with people. And in, uh, to some degree, to a person's heart, when I think <clears throat> yeah. about it, because at least when I'm invited somewhere, I feel uh, welcomed and I feel cared for and I feel um, that I'm part of uh, of something else. And it, 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 it just gives you a, a, a warm feeling and it, uh, it connects you to people, absolutely. Um, what does food preparation mean to you in the sense of how do you feel when you cook? Is it something that relaxes you and that you do when you're stressed? Is it something that um, puts you in a different place? Is it something that triggers something in you? How does it make you feel? Well, I think it's true for any job you might have. Um, for me, it's bringing my culture across, bringing home cooked meals. It always makes me feel closer to home. Um, and wanting to, you know, bring in your happiness and contentment, and you can take pride in it. And probably if uh, that doesn't do it, it's probably you chose the wrong profession. <laughs> For me, it is always a joy of loving and sharing my culture through food and baking. Okay. Yeah, uh, for me as well, I feel a little bit like uh, comfortable to cook. And I feel like when I'm stressed, if I do something, my stress will go away. But now it's different when you have a restaurant and you try to cook in, in the time and feed many people, it's become a little bit stressful for me. <laughs> so it's, it's different like cooking in restaurants or cooking at home for guests. I, I think so. It's uh, it's depend on to whom you are cooking. Right. Yeah. Now both of you have two different venues. Both of you have a food truck that is in essence bringing uh, the cuisine to people, 
And then you also have, and, and you just told us that you just opened a restaurant in, in Missoula. You both have uh, sit-down restaurants as well where people go and get the food. So it's this unique thing of bringing food to a location for people and having people come and join you in your restaurant. Could you tell us a little bit more what got you started with your food truck and how then you added the restaurant <clears throat> idea to it? Yeah, um, actually my cousin Amar, he's the, and the, he's the co-owner as well. He moved to Missoula um, before I moved. And he, we like, we, we can we can see like Missoula. It's uh, there is not too many options of food, like especially international uh, foods, and we couldn't find any like uh, Arabic cuisine. So and since we are we love cooking, and Ammar he used to have like a small restaurant as well. Uh, so we decided to uh, to go with this and uh, introduce our cuisine to Missoula. Um, uh, we started with our food trucks and people, uh, they love what we are doing. And they, then from there, we decided to find a, like a permanent location for us. Uh, and we are working on this since like three years, <laughs> trying to find something with our budget. Then finally we found something, which is good. And I think so. This is the first maybe concept here. We have like two restaurants under one roof. Uh, in the morning we have, or for lunch, we have a different menu than the, the dinner. The, the lunch menu, it's, it's run by my wife. She's doing kind of, uh, she bakes like a flatbread with topping, with different kind interested uh, uh, toppings, like some flavors that uh, Americans, they're not used to it. And in the dinner, we have our uh like the Kamun menu for dinner, which is shawarma, kebab, falafel, and the other stuff. Okay. That doing. So that would bring me to my next question real quick. Is the menu different from the food truck to the restaurant, or is it in essence the same menu? Uh, no, it's actually we used to have like two food trucks, one uh, called Raghif. Raghif means flatbread in Arabic. And that was uh, last year we started with this one. But Kamun was like three years back. Uh, so we we have almost the same menu that we have in the food truck, but because the limitation of the food truck, we couldn't like extend the menu. Now we have a little bit more space and more equipment. So we did expanded our menu a little bit. And in the future, we are going to do it, uh, expand it even more. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, Sylvia, can you tell me about how you got started. And in your case, it's the other way around. You didn't have the food truck first and then opened the restaurant, but you had a restaurant first and then you added the food truck. Actually, I started um, with the bakery. Right. Uh, simply like a lot of people start out at the Saturday market. Uh, when I came uh, in 2015, I came uh, to this beautiful valley and uh, just started with bringing my bread and pretzels due to the fact that I was missing that and then brought always pretzels and breads to families and friends and and they said, gosh, you need to sell this. <laughs> Maybe you have a, a, a 
a niche there, you know. So right. I started with the market, and that really escalated rather quickly in me opening the bakery six months later. And, and that bakery, if I may interrupt you, is in Stevensville. It's in Stevensville, yes, that's correct. Stevensville at the cutoff road there, right on the corner. And so, uh, like you said, we uh, started with the bakery, and then we enhanced it, uh, added dinners to it on Saturdays, which we still have in the winter months, uh, twice a month, comes about to twice a month. It's a three-course meal. And then we added our food truck uh, last year and um, have similar items than what we are serving at a dinner, but it's more uh, a three-course meal uh, at our dinners, consisting of soups and salads and a main dish with two sides and a dessert. This is what we're having, and it's authentic German. And I got asked in the bakery so many times uh, before I made that step in the food truck and the restaurant part of the bakery, um, can you make this and can you make schnitzel? Can you, <laughs> can you cook that? And so with the requests of customers, I decided to uh, starting the restaurant part of it twice a month and as well as the food truck, which is mainly the food truck menu is a lot of finger foods, German finger foods. You do get the schnitzel there as well. Like I stated, you know, the restaurant part is more extensive. You know, it's a more sit down environment homey, cozy, hospitality, just like you would go right. when you're in Germany. Right. Now, both of you said that um, in the case of the Arabian cuisine and uh, and uh, the German cuisine, that the authenticity is important. And so my, my question would be, um, what ingredients are unique to your recipes? What are uh, some of these ingredients that... Uh, we probably wouldn't find around here if we would go to um, a, uh, a typical restaurant that has um, American food. What are those and how are they different from uh, the regular spice palette that we have? And I don't know who wants to start, but... Okay. Um, actually, we were struggling with this uh, point because we couldn't find any like uh, Arabic grocery shop here in Missoula. So the closest shop that we need to go is in Spokane. Okay. So we have to drive like around six hours going and coming back to get our stuff from there. Uh, uh, we use like uh, different kind of spices, um, like for example, uh, za'atar. Za'atar is a mix of herbs. Uh, they mix it with the uh, sesame and they eat it with the cheese or you can top it with a salad or it's it's a little bit nut, nutty flavor. Okay. Uh, we have the sumag. It's it's, um, it's 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 herbs as well uh, and it gives a little bit of citrusy to the food. Uh, again, you can put in the salad or any other kind of dishes. We use uh, the pomegranate molasses too much, like with the salad or with the marination. So you ha you will have the like sweet and sour taste. Uh, we do like uh, use cumin too much. That's that's why our food truck is kamon means it's cumin in Arabic. Okay. So uh, uh, and uh, there is any other there is many other spices that we do by ourselves. 
like the falafel spices it's it's a mix of around 12 kind of spices the same thing with the shawarma it's around 14 kind of spices we mix it all together to get and you the... need to have those spices in order to make it authentic exactly if you would leave something out it wouldn't taste the same no yeah okay. even there is there is this, some spices we couldn't find it even in Spokane we ask uh, my cousins he lives in UAE in United Arab Emirates to send it to us so every year he sent like two or three boxes for us full of these spices and I need to mention that we uh, we are originally from Iraq but we, we me and my cousin we used to, le- to live in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, for around 14 years. And this opportunity gives us um, more knowledge about the international food. Because uh, United Arab Emirates is a multicultural uh, right. country. So right. we know about all the kind of food. Indians, uh, Italians, India, uh, like ch- uh, Chinese, right. all kind of food. Uh, that's that make our like uh, knowledge more expanded right. yeah i really appreciate as a person <clears throat> that that loves to eat and to cook <laughs> i appreciate the dedication to the ingredients because i think that sometimes recipes are completely changed and actually ruined yeah. by somebody saying oh we can just substitute this with something <laughs> that sounds close enough yeah. and it'll do and of course it never does no. And it it actually might might in a weird way change the entire experience taste wise because cardamom uh, or cumin was exchanged with cinnamon just because somebody <laughs> thought that that yeah. was the right thing to do. So I'm I'm so happy to hear that that you are dedicated to to getting the spices even if that means to uh, driving to Spokane, which yeah. is three hours one way and three hours back. Uh, to get your ingredients so that you can you can make it the right way. Yeah, that's why we had many good comments about, especially our falafel. Falafel, it's, you can find it ev- everywhere now, but it's never tastes like ours. Uh, everybody said, oh, your falafel is totally different. And some people, they don't like it because they tried it somewhere else. But when tried it in our food truck or food, now at the restaurants, they said, oh, this is totally different. I said, yeah, this is the authentic way that we are doing Right, doing it, and I see Sylvia nodding, yeah, uh, and agreeing. <laughs> I hope. Yes, yes, um, I can how, relate. How is that with you? I and can totally t- relate to uh, sorry, uh, Hazan um, with the spices. I do also use various spices, and I'm doing the same thing. Um, I'm calling my family back home, and they're sending it to me. Um, I caraway seed is one of them. I mean, I do get it. Uh, but in my rye bread, it needs to be caraway seed in it for a German rye, true German rye bread uh, for the baking aspects, as well as in my sauerkraut. Same here, that has on, uh, a lot of people did not like sauerkraut because they did not really know how to make it in um, putting different spices in there, the spices I used to from a child, you know, making kraut and fermenting it and going through this whole process. And um, with that also, we have um, uh, a substance that's called quark, which is a milk product, which we do not get in. I have yet not found a place to get it. There was times where I made it myself. And there I did, done through lots of trial and errors, uh, trying to make this authentic German 
cheesecake, which is so, so different in comparisons to an American cheesecake. So much lighter uh, in, in sense of digestion, and it's because not Because so it has quark. It, yeah, it has quark. And so due to the fact that I found a substitution for it, it's a Greek yogurt, which I also have to process still before I make it <laughs> right. into my German cheesecake. But it is the closest that it came to the taste flavor to what I'm used to. How the German cheesecake tastes like. There's also a uh, labor case. We have that on the food truck as well as on the uh, as a dinner item uh, when we are offering our suppers, um, which is three different types of meats we use. And I make it and same uh, with Hazan. You cannot get this anywhere. I have to produce it in my bakery. And I remember the look you gave me when <laughs> I last year when we were talking about uh, getting you back. Uh, to German Fest, Correct. and I said, "Tell me, Sylvia, what are some of the, <clears throat> the items?" And and among those, you said labor case, yes. and I said, "Oh, where do you get your labor case from?" And I remember the look you gave me, and then you said, "Udo, I don't get it anywhere. I make it myself." That's correct. So, yeah, so that's quite a process. Again, that's like three different types of meat right. and a certain seasoning. Uh, I'm I'm putting together in essence to get that flavor. Right just as close as to what I'm from, from home, where I'm from. So so with both of you, the importance <clears throat> is really placed on the authentic ingredients, no substitutions, and whatever you can make yourself, you prefer that over uh, a, a bought product or a bought ingredient if you can make it yourself. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> thank you for, for sharing that. Do you have <clears throat> traditional cultural cooking techniques that are different from, you know, the average putting food in a metal pot on a stove and steering it. Is there something different that you do in your food preparation? Uh, I, like I said, to get the education, I got, got, got my education in Germany. Uh, I went to a culinary arts uh, university in Römerhüke Ludwigsburg, where I was born and raised. And, um, and most of my techniques, again, was handed down from my parents, from my grandmother, and just watching them and observing my Oma, grandmother, right. uh, and my mom in the kitchen during my, you know, my childhood home. And then, of course, the combination of that and uh, what I was taught as a child and then what I was learning and then creating your own um, techniques. I, for example, I don't have a lot of machinery in my bakery. Um, so a lot of it, all the doughs are really literally prepared like the olden days with my hands. I mean, uh, so a lot of bakeries have machineries. Sure. We are like a three people team. It's my husband and myself and my daughter who are running the business. Right. And we are making our breads daily every day and not through a machine. It was all done that day freshly with our hands and, and the croissant doughs is being rolled out through a rolling pen every morning. Wow. So that goes a long way as far as authenticity. <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, how about how is it in Arabian cuisine? Is is are there certain unique uh, cooking um, techniques or cooking um, utensils yeah. that you use that are different from what? Yeah, sure. I mean. Uh, uh, if I'm talking about the all Arab countries, each country they have their own like unique uh, technique with the uh, cooking. Right. Uh, 
maybe what we are using now and what is we available here uh, we are uh, ma uh, ba uh, making the shawarma if you heard about it it's it's like slices of beef or chicken we marinated overnight and we stuck it all together in vertical um, skewer uh -huh. and it will like uh, we roasted like vertically roasted so on it rotates a, rotate yeah this is this is I think so a technique maybe the Greek they have same thing with Euro but we have different ingredient we use only the pure meat like we don't make it mix it with the wheat or anything it's just a slices of uh, marinated meat and we stuck it all together the the unique uh, technique that we have in Iraq that no one have it is how to cook uh, 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 the fish. We call it mezguf, uh, which is uh, we have the river fish. We open the fish and we make like a fire in the ground in the middle, and we put the fish a uh, little bit uh, far from the fire, so it will cook very slowly, uh, and it will take like around one and a half or two hours to cook the fish and this one definitely we cannot do it here <laughs> because sure. the winter and everything uh, so mezguf is really something that is it's only in iraq only in iraq yeah if i would go to a neighboring country and and would ask for that nobody would know how mm -hmm. to make it you can find it in iraqi restaurants in uae for sure. example or in, in london or right. somewhere but uh that it's only in iraq yeah very interesting mm. huh okay um just remembered something because of cooking yes um i know we do for example a sauerbrot which takes quite a preparation to do it it's being marinated it's another thing i cannot get here in this country i get the meat part which i need but then it goes uh late in a brine i believe that's what you call it right. for at least for me it's at least a week i leave it in there so every day <coughs> It gets rotated, uh, and then uh, it gets just roasted, slow cooked um, on the stove or at the oven, and it takes about a week for me to prepare that. And it's became one of um, my customers' favorite. They're actually looking forward to, forward to it. It's we have a sweetheart dinner coming up, and we have an annual sweetheart dinner where this dish is prepared. And and as a fellow German, I can uh, uh, agree to the fact that this is a very unique taste because the brine gives it a slightly sour touch, mm -hmm. not sour as in lemon sour and your your face puckers, but mm -hmm. as in sour, just a slight hint of sour because of that uh, week long marinating in vinegar and wine white and wine different wine types and, size, different right. types of spices. Yeah, and you're right. That is. Um, even I, I would argue good sauerbraten in Germany is, mm -hmm. is even uh, tough to find yeah. because it does take this, this, long this process. longer process that these days everybody wants to do things quick. And so yeah. something that takes a week long is almost like, you know, it's impossible, impossible. to do. But um, no, thank you for, uh, for adding that, uh, Sylvia. Now, I'd like to get a little bit from the food preparation and the idea of nourishing a body to to the traditions and and perhaps the the history or the customs that are also almost served 
with the food, if that if that is the right way to describe it. How important is that for you, that your food has part of your culture and is uh, is perhaps teaching people something that are eating the food beyond that they're eating it and that they're nourishing their bodies? Okay. Um, yeah, as I, as I mentioned in the beginning that uh, the food, it's, it's very involved in our culture. Like uh, uh, for any, any occasions, like if it's wedding or any happy occasion or even a sad occasion, the first the thing that we are think about it is the food. How we are go- what we are going to serve, and there's certain dishes uh, that we we serve it in certain occasions. Uh, so the food is uh, and the food is very important in our culture. Um, we do like uh, uh, the hus- hospitality as well. It's the big part of it is is the food. Uh, for example, if you go to one of the your friends or relatives, you you cannot go out without have the dinner or lunch or whatever available there. And it's not like uh, if you say no, that's mean no, no, you have to <laughs> eat even even you say no, it's not your option. So the the hospitality is very connected to to the food in our culture. and uh, there's certain or even religion, uh, uh, like celebrities or uh, celebrations or like occasions that you can find the food everywhere for right. free. Right. Like in the street, like uh, you just walk in and you, they will you like begging you to have some food, you know. So it's all related to food, like the culture, religions, you know, uh, hospitality, everything. It's it's about the food. I love it that you don't have to ask, uh, and that even if you're polite and you decline and you say please no i'm okay uh, that the person will not give up this is this is my dream scenario because i i tell you i have friends where even if i sit for an hour i don't get anything offered so i'm, I'm sort of wondering if, if there could be a cross-cultural uh, teaching and learning thing going on where i could send some of my friends to you and 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 you could uh, tell them that this is no way to do it if somebody sits in your living room for an hour they need to be fed and, yeah. and even if they say no, no, you still need to feed them um, because that, I think, is such a wonderful way of caring. Yeah, about and if you didn't eat, that means there's something wrong. Like, so it's almost uh, offensive. You yeah, would offend the person. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's not like whatever you put in your plate, the, uh, whoever hosting you, the, he will put more in your plate. It's even if you said no enough, that's you know, no, you have to eat everything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. It's just hearing that um, so early in the new year, and I still have some of my New Year's resolutions uh, that I'm practicing and that I'm trying to hold on to. But just listening to you, I'm thinking, is it really worth it? Because uh, this sounds like such a great way of connecting to people and feeling welcomed and loved uh, through food that... um, it almost makes me want to forget my New Year resolutions. But, um, how is that? How is that in, in oh, your case? Sylvia? It's very similar to Hassan's. Uh, coming from the south part of Germany, um, and within the name of my business, which 
calls Alpin Stüble um, is the answer to your question in a lot of ways because Stüble is a place in the southern German households where family and friends would gather to interact and share meals. Right, right. Um, there are regional variations in food and cultures. Most Germans' recipes focus heavily on bread and potatoes and meat and especially pork. And so we have lots of those almost uh, in every meal. And just like Azan said, if you just so happen to come by a German household and there's food on the, ta- on the table, there's always a plate for you and you better eat it when you get invited because you never go uh, hungry out of a German house. Right. Especially in the time I was living in Germany or my family in particular, um, you come and get invited Within the next 10, 15 minutes, you will have a plate in front of you. It depends on the day and the time. It's either lunchtime or it's coffee and kuchen, which we are having uh, in the afternoon about between 3 and 4 o'clock, where you definitely will have a cake (laughs) and a wonderful cup of coffee. Uh, I mean, you get fat all the time. I mean, and and like Hassan also said, um, the same when you do leave something on your plate. Right. Uh, you will get some not so nice looks yeah. <laughs> from the host or from the, the right. head of the house. Because like, oh, they didn't like my food and you will hear about it. We yeah. will be very verbal about it. <laughs> right. So it's very similar. Now, um, uh, Vishwam, the, the question that I have, and do I pronounce your name correctly? Uh, Vi- it's Wissam. Wissam. Yeah. Wissam. With W, yeah. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um is it something that how how do people learn this? I mean, if and again, I'm 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 seriously thinking of sending some of my friends to you so that you can teach them <laughs> how to do it properly. But but how do people learn? Is it something that you share with kids when the kids grow up? Do they observe this uh, this care about food and feeding so that when they grow into teenagers and young adults, that if somebody comes over, they would also not let them sit in the living room without offering them something. Is that how that works? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, back home it's much easier because you're living in the culture, but here right. in the U.S. it will be like a little bit difficult for us. I mean, we're trying to uh, uh, to transfer our culture to our kids, but it's, they still like, you know, going to, they have American friends, they have, they're going to, American school, though sometimes my daughter, she's a teenager, when we told her, you shouldn't start eating before the guest, she said, why? I mean, I the food is there. So we're trying to teach them slowly what's sure. our culture and how we do that back home. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we try as much as possible, our best. <laughs> okay. Mm. Now to both of you, can you recall an especially memorable meal who made it, and what was the occasion, and what made it special? Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, it, it was. Uh, it goes back way back to my childhood. Again, um, I remember it's Italy. It was uh, the the starting point for me. Uh, I remember being in Italy with my father. Wanted gelato, but um, having to earn the money because. German parents don't just give you money. You have to earn it, no matter if you're on vacation or not. I hope my my kids are hearing this right now. So you cannot just go to mom and dad and say, mom, I want some 100 liras and I want to buy me some gelato back then. Uh, So at Trattoria, we were staying at, it's a bed and breakfast where we stayed. And uh, my love for food there started because I had to earn my money, my lira. And uh, so I helped out in this um, 
uh, trattoria to earn my original Italian gelato. I will never forget this moment. It stuck with me forever. And uh, so that is how it started, this whole business and me going into the hospitality business and the food business way back then. And that was this memorable moment to, moment to earn my own gelato with working and being a table buzzer and and uh, cleaning tables and plates and and we've been still today I'm still friends with the owners of that trattoria which oh, wow. the third generation took over and it's like really funny to sure. to uh, be talking to this like guess what <laughs> I had you mentioned and you are the one your father is instilled that that seed in me to to get into that kind of business that's impressive how about you uh well i cannot remember something specific because uh as i said it's the food it's it's very like involved in our culture so there's many like things but uh honestly i can't remember <laughs> like <laughs> something specific so um, maybe I remember that we got invited w- with one of my uh, dad's friends and we are only two kids. I was like maybe 12 or 10 okay. and my mom and my youngest uh, uh, sister and they put like a huge uh, table of food and I started looking at my mom and I'm not a good eater when I was small. I said, what should I do? What should, where should I start and how to? And, and the, the, as I said, it's, it's not good not to eat. You know, you right. have to eat. <laughs> right. So it was like too much pressure for me <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I still remember that table. It's, it's like maybe around 30 kind of food or something. Sure. Yeah, because it's... Uh, if they put more, that means you are very, like, respected or, you know, it's or related to the food. Right. Uh, yeah. How has your relationship to food changed over your lifetime? Is it different now than it was when you were a child? And, and how, how is it different? Yeah, for me, I remember I was very picky in my food when I was a child. Like, I don't eat garlic, I don't eat onion, I don't lick, I don't eat tomato. I don't like uh, anything red, like tomato with tomato paste. I never eat it. Right. I don't eat meat. I don't eat many things. Right. But then when I and I was so skinny that I eat on, I eat only rice and yogurt. Maybe this is the maximum that I can eat. Uh, then when I grow up uh, and after I moved to UAE, as I said, it's multicultural, and I I tried to love trying other foods. Now I can eat everything, like not everything, but I mean most of the things <laughs> that is not weird for me. <laughs> yeah. Sylvia? Um, my relationship to food has changed out of necessity as I have grown older, like everybody else. And for instance, I'm now uh, lactose intolerant. Uh, but the day that I cannot have bread, like my bretzels or homemade spätzles, I had better be toothless <laughs> and on a liquid diet <laughs> because I just cannot live without my bread and <laughs> and uh, you know my uh, um, spätzle you know being right. the true German I am you know right. I have to have my spätzles and my dumplings and if somebody says you can't have any gluten or I, I might as well just like I said be toothless yeah, and have I, a liquid diet right. <laughs> well but it's interesting that both of you say that um that it changed over time. Yes. And when I think about my own 
um, relation to food, there were lots of things that as a kid I, I didn't really care for. Mm -hmm. I would probably eat them if if the setting was such that it looked good and mm -hmm. I wanted to be nice and polite. Mm -hmm. But did I really like them? Probably not. Uh, but today there are lots of things that I really like and I specifically go and buy them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for example, mussels or oysters as a child. And I, I don't know, probably that's common that children go, Ugh. Yeah. you know, mussel <laughs> oyster is kind of a glibbery, glibbery kind of a thing that, um, that uh, you know, looks like slime in a, mm. in a shell. Uh, and so that's probably not uncommon that kids don't go for that. No matter how you dress it up and what you add to it, it's still an oyster or a mussel. But today, if somebody gets me a uh, a bag of uh, uh, of mussels or uh, a dozen of oysters, I could just be content in the corner and just enjoy it for the the uniqueness of it, for the taste of it, and and for the sensation of it that it does in your mouth and all that. So I would agree with with both of you and and, and <coughs> probably our listeners are as well that over time your your taste buds change and also perhaps your attitude towards food and and uh, and what's important um and so that's interesting to hear that you're both having these recalls from when you were children and how that has changed over time now is there anything else uh your culinary talents or your food that we have not covered, but you think it's relevant for our listeners to know. Is there anything that you would like to add? I guess uh, for me personally is that we strive and provide every customer a true experience with um, our Southern German food and hospitality um, to make the time and money well spent for you. Uh, we are a very small business, like I mentioned, consisting mainly out of three people. But our main goal is really to bring across um, some true, authentic German dining experience and the hospitality. And some of our dishes and in our dinner times, uh, which is not being advertised <laughs> when people have their dinners, but their stories to, when I was mentioning earlier, uh, my grandmother always the story to some of the dishes she made and they're in my memory and in branded and I share those with them you know we have uh, a dish it's called maltaschen which is a meat pocket in a broth which we normally serve in land and there's a story to it it's a long story I won't mention you need to come to Alpenstübler to hear about it <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, it is uh, so uh, even some of our baking uh, uh, cakes and torts, there is stories attached to them, uh, some history. So I think that's what makes us a little bit different than your average restaurant, uh, because that's what I'm bringing and that is what I want to bring across. That is not just a wonderful food, but it's also a little bit of history comes with that. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, now when we open the restaurant, we, as uh, Sylvia said, we're trying to uh, make our food as experience, authentic experience. So what we did, what we are doing now in our restaurants, uh, we serve a free tea, like uh, Iraqi style tea, which is it's black tea with cardamom. And we serve it in like very traditional pot, very traditional uh, caps, like tea caps. 
and uh, uh, because wherever you go, even in the restaurants back home, the first thing that they will serve you is a tea or coffee for free. Uh, so we're trying to do that as well in our restaurants. And people, they like it. They said, are you sure it's free? I said, yeah. They said, you should sell it. I said, no, it's free. <laughs> and uh, same thing with try we're trying to do some decoration as well, like reflecting our, uh, you know, culture, uh, put some like music, Arabic music. Um, yeah, we're trying our best, best to, to make it authentic. And many people, especially the, like all these people, the, First question said, uh, they are asked which dish is the most authentic one that we have to try. So I said, everything is authentic. You choose whatever you like. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're trying to uh, make it an, a nice experience as well. So, again, that brings us back to the beginning of, of uh, our uh, conversation today. There is so much more than just the food that people will get if they come to your restaurants or to your food trucks. Yeah. It is the flair of the country of origin. It is the music or the ambiance or whatever else is part of the eating of the food that is uh, a side dish in a way that is served when when people come to your places of uh, of eating. That's really nice to hear. Um, um, yes. Uh, yeah. Can I add something? Uh, we uh, we are uh, going to uh, sell as well some spices and some ingredient that we are using in our cuisine. So maybe next week or the week after, uh, you can find a small corner in our restaurants. Have many of our uh, like uh, authentic spices or you know different materials, grocery that you can find it only in Spokane. <laughs> and you both have websites, I assume, yes. where you have your menus. If people were intrigued by uh, the dishes that you mentioned and the dishes that you mentioned, uh, Sylvia, um, if they want to find out more about it, uh, the location of the place, and if there are any special events, like you mentioned, a sweetheart dinner, dinner. something like that would be on the website yes. so people can learn about it. Um, uh, and I think that's a great way to uh, to inform uh, the community of these things is to, you know, put it all on your website and then everybody can go and check it out. Well, thank you so much to both of you for um, being my guests. I, I really, I learned a lot by just listening to you both. I um, remembered a lot from my <laughs> own childhood uh, that I had probably uh, not thought of for quite some time. Uh, that being uh, 40 or 50 years. Um, so this was enjoyable and interesting. And I hope that our listeners feel the same. And it was an inspiration to, again, have the dedication that you both put into food production and into sharing it uh, with the community that I think is just a wonderful example of hospitality and and, uh, and friendship to some degree is to connect to people and make new friends. Um, so thank you for doing that. And the only thing I can say is keep cooking. Yes. <laughs> thank you for asking thank you us. For, mm. Thank you for having us. Many thanks to all our guests today for sharing their stories, their culture, and their passion about international cuisine. This was the first part of a multi-part series focusing on food as cultural diplomacy. 
Before I sign off, I would like the listeners to know that the Worldview film series is back at the Roxy this spring, and we are kicking it off on February 14th with Motorcycle Diaries from Argentina and Chile, on March 14th with An Angel at My Table from New Zealand, on April 1st we will screen The Great Beauty from Italy, and we will finish on May 9th with Riding with Fire, a beautiful film from India. Following the films will be a facilitated community conversation and a Missoula restaurant raffle drawing. All films are free to the Missoula community. To the listeners near and far, please join me again next month for a new episode of International Voices. As always, thank you for listening. Those of you who are regularly tuning in to International Voices know, being of German descent, I usually end with a German farewell. Dankeschön fürs Zuhören. International Voices is brought to you by Global and Cultural Affairs of Arts Missoula and the Trail 1033. This and previous International Voices podcasts can be found at artsmissoula.org and the Trail 1033.com. Mm-hmm.